This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. One of the senior executives over, I'm going to give you a, a promotion, but I think you are, senior executive at Black Enterprise, but he's also one of the most incredible human beings because of the things that he's doing outside of that. Let me welcome back to the show, Mr. Alfred Edmonds. Edmonds, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, it's good to be back. It's good to see you. Thank you for inviting me. I got your trophies up on my, uh, mm-hmm. right here. Oh, yeah. I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. I see. So you were, where was this, Virginia? Where were Baltimore. you? Baltimore. 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 What was the competition? So this is the um, OCB, or the Organization for Competition Bodies. It's one of the major natural bodybuilding federations. And uh, it's the annual Chesapeake Classic. I competed last year. I got third in the 50-plus master's class. So you're more than 50. You're over 50? I'm 59. Okay. Yeah, so right. I'll be 60 right. in March. And so this year I went back to compete. It was it's one of the best promoted shows I've ever experienced. So I, I always made up my mind. I'm going to go back because I just enjoyed the whole experience. And this year I got second um, in the 40-plus master's class and first in the 50-plus. Ma- no, wait a minute. It's the other way around. I got first in the 40-plus master's wait, class. Wait, so you competed against 40-plus and you got you came in first. Is that and- this one? Is that the one? No, that's, that's the first place the, trophy. Okay, this is a and the forty plus masters, and, and this, this is, is the, the second, second place trophy in the fifty plus masters. Now, one of the things you would think that the forty plus would be easier than the fifty plus, but that's not the way it always works out. I mean, right. some, the tougher classes often are the people who are older because they've got a lot more experience. I'm young in the sport compared are you serious? to a lot of okay. People. As a yeah. black man, and I think it's important, mm-hmm. and I'm, I want to get all into it because you're going to be here in the next hour. Mm-hmm. Um, it, before we get back into this, yes, you've yes, been yes. listening to this conversation. You've been at Black Enterprise since I've known you. Like I'm, I'm you know. It'll be 33 yes. years in March. This okay. Coming March. To to be at a magazine whose edict is to empower Black people around the issues of money and business, et cetera, yes. to see this what's going on right now in this country because you've 30 years you've been in the money space. Yeah, yeah. What are we doing wrong, and what solutions do you see, Alfred? I don't necessarily think we're doing anything wrong. I mean, I, I, again, I got a longer view um, because because of the thirty plus years at Black Enterprise, and you know we're at a, a, a period where the pendulum has swung into a scare, very scary territory. But it's not the first time we that pun, pendulum has swung there. So I mean, I remember when, you know when um, um, Amadou Diallo was killed in the doorway of his apartment. I mean, I just you know we, every time these atrocities happen, they feel fresh because they, you know, because they are fresh because it's like ripping that wound back open again. Um, but then we kind of take a, a, a few steps forward and then we're pulled back and we take a few steps forward. So my thing now was that, um, and, and I'm appalled and, uh, you know, uh, it, we can go down a whole different road. I mean, you already so eloquently addressed why the murder of um, Atatiana was just <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but the point is, and I tell my, myself, I tell my family, I tell my, my kids, the, in the long game, I'm with you. Things are going to break. They're going to continue to break. They always break in the positive direction. It's, there's always casualties along the way, um, and and you got to just got to fight through the darkness and to get to the light. And it's hard. To, it's hard to think that way and even feel that way today. I have to, you know, personally speaking, but I've seen it over and over and over again. No matter how ugly things get, and I always tell people, if you're black, all you got to do is look over your shoulder. And see what we've come through, what our p- parents and grandparents and great grandparents come through. We shouldn't even be here. 
I mean, if, if, you, if, if, the, if the intentions of, of the host, people hostile to our lives and our ambitions were fulfilled, we wouldn't even be here. So the mere fact that we are still here says we cannot give up hope. That's how we lose. As soon as we give up hope, as soon as you right. think you've lost, you have lost. And that's probably also a tactic to make you give up hope. You know, I would hate oh, yeah. to think that that young man with that gun who murdered a Tatiana didn't give her a chance to put her hands up. I would hate to think he went there, like, itching to do that. I would hate to think that. I would, too. I would, too. But even if he did, we recognize, and I'm not saying he did, but, I, I, I you know, I, 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 again, I've taught my kids since they were kids. There is evil in the world. Let's, let's get that clear. And, and some of the people who are practicing the evil don't even know that the evil is within them. There's uh, evil actually, in the world, uh, but don't be discouraged by that because your job is to counteract that evil by bringing hope and positivity to your life, and and you know and and the good will win out. You got to believe that. I'm reading Baldwin the Fire next time. I actually did a podcast on this uh, that's going to run tomorrow, and I you know he says it's not the evil, it's the spineless that we're dealing. It's not the evil that's going to destroy us. It's the spineless. Absolutely. And this is why I put the clarion call out, cops. White folk who are silent, you're cowards. You're spineless. Not evil, because, you know, evil people take their own temperature. No, I'm good. I'm a good person. But if you create the environment for evil to thrive, and I think that's part of You're a coward. If you're silent through watching this, you are a spineless coward. Just the opposite. It's a coward that pulls out a gun first. Yes. It's a coward. And this is what, you know, getting back to your physical fitness, because I think, you know, I am in a space right now where I need us to get it together. I need our health to be, you know, listen, we can't fight these battles with the high blood pressure and the diabetes. It's hard to fight when your health is in jeopardy. Absolutely. That's that's a big part of my whole motivation behind um, my, my fitness, my passion for bodybuilding and fitness. You know, yeah, it's nice to have six pack abs at near sixty. Yes, it's nice to be able to get on a stage and flex. All that, all that cosmetic stuff is nice. I'm not gonna pretend it doesn't matter, but that wasn't. That's not my motivation. My motivation is knowing that, for example, as I teach in, in, in my classes, you're kidding yourself about getting to millionaire and billionaire status if you die before the age of fifty. You're just playing. Don't tell me about how you're bossing up and how you're gonna be a mogul and. If, if, you know, if you're a typical black man, you'll keel over by the time you're 55. And if you're a, a black woman, you'll live, but you'll be too sick to do anything about it. So this is not just a health and cosmetic and physical thing. It's an economic conversation. We need more black people to live productively into their 70s and 80s. And I don't mean just barely making it, like kicking butt and taking names. Because if you look at the nation's millionaires and billionaires, not just in America, not just the nation, but the world, you're going to find very, very few who got there before they were 50 years old. Mm. Very few. It takes a couple of decades between your 30s and your 40s to amass the uh, mastery of your, your field, the relationships, the networking, the assets, to make enough mistakes because you got to survive a bunch of mistakes to yes. get there. You know, so when you, you know, Oprah wouldn't be Oprah if she killed over or was sick when she was 45. You know, my favorite example is Jay Leno, who basically gets paid to play with his cars now. <laughs> you know, when you're doing it right, they just pay you to do what you want to do. It right. <laughs> you know. Right. And so, so yeah, you, you, everything you're saying, Karen, is right. Just why I'm so passionate about this, not just as my own personal pursuit. I just happen to like lifting weights. I've always liked lifting weights. Um, even though I'm a little guy, I like doing it. Uh, but this idea that we should, we need to live longer and be more productive 
in our in our latter years if we're really going to get serious about wealth creation in and the long building run. legacy and leaving money for others. Absolutely. We're going to talk more about this with Alfred Alfred Edmund Alfred A Edmund Jr. Senior Vice President Executive Editor at Large for Black Enterprise. He's sticking around. I'm going to take a couple of calls too because uh, people, I, you know, I feel like there's a catharsis to to expressing how angry you feel. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it because we got work to do. Right. Clearly, we can do three hours of people saying this is outrageous. But now we have to also, in the midst of talking about how horrible this is, start coming up with game plans for how we're going to deal with it. Because not everyone's leaving. Not everyone can leave. Not everyone should leave. We built this country. Right. We should be able to do whatever the hell we want. But I think some of us should stay here and make sure that we build the future that we want to see because we can. And there's too many resources here that we developed. We're the economy of this country. Absolutely. Not leaving here. All right, Linda in New York, really quickly, welcome. Hi, Karen. Uh, thanks for taking my call. And, yes, I'm just as disgusted as everyone else. Um, but, Karen, what I want to say is we can't just um, have the police officer arrested. The psychiatrist that examined this man and said that he was fit to go into the public and carry a gun he needs to be. He needs to lose his license, and he and I mean stripped, that he cannot ever practice psychiatry or psychology ever again. And they need to do that all across the country. And I can guarantee you, if these psychiatrists start to become afraid that they're going to lose their livelihood, they're going to stop putting these killer cops on the street. And black people, you need to not shop for Christmas because you are helping them buy the bullets to put in your back. And I just want to say one other thing. Harriet Tubman said, you know, my son reminded me of this the other day. He said, she said, you know, I could have freed a lot more if only they had known they were slaves. Okay? So anybody that wants to go out there and act like everything is everything and just go ahead and shop, who's going to respect you? Why should I respect you? And you're being shot down in your back. You're being blown away in your home. And you still talking about Christmas and my baby and I got to get this and that? First of all, the psychiatrists need to be sued. They need okay. to lose their licenses. And people stop shopping, please. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Actually, the uh, quote, uh, I freed a thousand slaves. I could have freed a thousand more if they only knew that they were slaves uh, has been deemed false like the Willie Lynch letter. But that's neither here nor there. The sentiment is right and righteous. And we're actually going to talk with Alfred uh, about this uh, shopping. Um, And I think it's retail therapy for a lot of us. A lot of us shop because it makes us feel good. Endorphins are released. But it's unhealthy for the future of our country and for the future of our community. We're going to talk about that when we come back. All right. Alfred A. Edmonds Jr. has stuck around. He's got his his awards here, his statues of, like, male um, perfection. That's what I'm going to call it. Which is striving. So how did how did you get into bodybuilding? Because you've always been kind of a thin, fit man. I've never yeah. remembered you being fat. I've loved lifting weights since high school. Okay. I had a very brief football career, but the coach at the time um, really believed that even though the weight room, the weight room wasn't just for the football players, it was for all the students. And because he knew I liked to lift weights, he encouraged me. And so I've been into that since I was a teenager. Um, in my late thirties, I was set I set a goal of things I wanted to do before I turned forty. And the brother that owned my gym, it was a black-owned gym I attended, he was like, you should do a show. So I put that on the list. 
And he remembered that I put it on the list because I kept putting it off. So at age 39, I did my first bodybuilding competition. And I was horrible. But I had what, what made you horrible? Because people think it's just about having big muscles and getting on the stage. The posing is difficult. It's really a, a form of isometric exercise. It's exhausting. You, you don't realize how, how you have to learn how to present your body in a way. It's not just a matter of getting on the stage and flexing. It, it, was, it was a whole bunch of stuff whole that I hadn't thought about. choreography. Yeah, yeah. And then the way you train for competition is very different from just staying in shape. So I, I learned a lot. But I had such a great time because the fitness, um, the competitive fitness community, especially on the natural level, is a great group of people, crosses all racial boundaries, geogra- you know, po- politics. So it's a great it's where America should be. We should right. be able to all get along. Mm. And natural bodybuilding that community is like. So I loved it. I did it for four years. I stopped in 2002. Um, went 15 years without competing. And then 2017. Why? Because, you know, life, life. choices. Mm. You know, when I first started competing back in my late 30s, I was still, I was married at the time. I had three young children. Of course, I was editor-in-chief of Black Enterprise Magazine at the time. It was a very demanding job. So I, I did it for a few years. And then I kind of um, stopped in 2002 when I remarried, um, which wasn't a good choice, but that's another story for another time. Um, in fact, that's how you could tell you made a bad choice because you stopped doing the things you love to do. Mm. Relationship advice from Grown Zone. But anyway, 15 years later, happily married, my wife Zara Green, everything's going great. My kids are grown and out of the house. And I kept, and I'm still in great shape because I never stopped working out. And I kept saying I was going to go back. So in 2017, uh, there was a show at Montclair State University. Another federation of DFAC had a show there, and I said, it's right next door to where I live. I need to just go. And I did that, and by a series of warriors' uh, details, I ended up competing for Team USA in the DFAC World Finals that year in Miami. Wow. Uh, because they were filling out the team, and they invited me to do the 50-plus master's class. Um, so after that, I was like, if I did this kind of by accident, accidentally on purpose, what could I do if I really tried? And since then, it's been about now I really want to make my mark as a, a master's level bodybuilder. Um, I have a supportive wife. I don't have children. I have a flexible career, you know, professional life, and I can train and do what I want to do. You don't do. have little children. You still have children. No, I don't have children. I have, you I have, have adults. I have adults, yes, okay. grown people. Grown people. Who I happen to be a father to but not a parent to. There we go. <laughs> yes, I yes, love it. Yes. And is this your first first place? It's my first first place ever. Congrats. The best I've I ever mean. done um, to this point was third in my class. So it was a big, and that's the big deal because that qualified me for a pro card. So I'm not ready. Wow. I'm not ready to compete as a pro. But it, I was telling people, I had to pee in a cup for the first time because if you win your class, you got to pee in a cup. You got to pass your urinalysis. Oh, you gotta because pass it's a, natural. Yup, it's natural. So you got to make sure not you got to pass the polygraph sir. to even enter. So you a go down. Polygraph. Yup, and if you fail the polygraph, even if you paid to do what you did, they won't let you on the stage. And if and then, but if you win your class, then you'd immediately after you leave the stage, you got to go right to the bathroom because people are doping. Well, the whole point of natural bodybuilding is we want a level playing field. We don't want people on there who, who so you, so most federations you got to be at least seven years, um, you know, free from any not, for any type of enhan- enhancement. Yeah. and and you you got to pass a polygraph to just get on the stage, and then after that, if you win your class, you immediately got to go pee in a cup. Now, what's your diet like? I I mean, my diet. This is the good thing about being a bodybuilder for me because I eat clean anyway, so I don't eat processed foods. None, uh, not a package of potato chips, not a none, popcorn, none, none, nothing. No, none of that. I eat, I eat, uh, but I, I will eat, like I said, I eat a little chocolate every day. I love chocolate. The things you love, you should have every day, you just only have a little bit of it. Um, I eat lots of vegetables, lots of lean meat, mostly fish and chicken. I'll do some red meat, but only occasionally. Um, lots of um, brown rice, 
sweet potatoes, potatoes. Are you doing dairy? Very little dairy. I, I'm not purposely avoiding it, but the way my diet is laid out, I don't really do much dairy. Um, okay. Um, yeah, and it's basically that. And to season it the right, I don't do, use too much salt. I don't add salt and sugar. So um, your blood pressure is good. Your your diabetes. Blood pressure is good. I mean, that was again the whole the, my whole motivation is really to maintain optimum health for as long as I can. Like high blood pressure runs in my family, so I have a predisposition for it. That so far, I've never had to take any prescription nope. medicine. And you're gonna be sixty in March. And I'm gonna be sixty in March. A um, black man not taking any blood pressure nothing, medicine. Nothing. 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 You uh, are a unicorn. And I remember sir. I survived. I, I think I was talked about this the last time I was on the show in 2009. I lived for a year with a prostate cancer diagnosis. Never got sick, because they, they caught it so before I was even symptomatic. So, um, so wow. sometimes it never ha- feels like it never happened because right. I, I don't have any. I didn't have any complications after the fact. Didn't have your prostate removed. Didn't, didn't ha- have to go. No, I did have my prostate. Oh, you did removed, have to have it. But removed. It, they caught it so early, and the technique, um, the the guy that did my surgery, played himself on law and order and criminal intent. That's how bad he is, Doctor David Samadi, and and uh, so it, it's almost like it never happened because I was asymptomatic when they found it, and my surgery was totally successful, and it's almost like it never happened. No side effects. No okay. side effects. You know, people yeah. that want to talk about life, and you, you talked about it, health and wealth, you can't divide those two. I tell people it's hard to make money if you're sick, and it's even harder to do it if you're dead. Oh. Th- so you might want to stick around you and be, said a word and right be healthy there. right there. <laughs> 